Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn to go tonight once more to the seventh chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, we'll read together tonight from the verse number 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried the loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. In Revelation chapter 7, we are given, if you like, two views of the glorified church views that come from slightly different perspectives, but the point being that we see the unity of the bride of Christ, the unity of the Lamb's bride. And so we're seeing two views of God's people glorified around the throne, as the hymn writer would say, elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth, gathered out of all people, safe from the wrath of the Lamb. Again, I go back to those opening verses of the four winds being held back. And the wrath of the Lamb does not touch the elect of God as they have been sealed on their foreheads. They belong to God and they're under his protection. It is undoubtedly a saved company in view here. Verse number 10 tells us their testimony. Salvation to our God which sit upon the throne. The idea being, the language that's used here, is their acknowledgement that their salvation comes from God. But they themselves are asserting, we are those who've enjoyed this salvation. Our salvation belongs to God, comes from God, who sits on the throne, and that salvation comes via the Lamb. They confess they're saved. They are those who are before the throne. Verse number 9, they stood before the throne. Again, don't miss the significance of that. You read through the Bible, you see the fear of the people of God in Mount Sinai, and the holiness of God, the awesomeness of God, and the people are terrified. But here now you have a company, and they have no fear before the throne of God. They are those who are safe in the presence of the thrice holy God's you take some of the language of the New Testament, they are accepted in the Beloved. They are before their Heavenly Father, the one to whom they've said, Abba, Father. They know no fear 
Uh, not in that sense of abject terror, they know reverence, but no abject terror before the throne, for they are justified. They are righteous in the face of absolute righteousness. You see, at the end of chapter 6, the question was asked, the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And now we find that those who can stand are those who have been accepted, who are justified, who are clothed with white robes with palms in their hands. And the question is so stark, who is able to stand? And that question does not originate with John. You go back to Nahum, chapter 1, verse 6. The prophet says, who can stand before his indignation? Of course, the psalmist before that would say, if the Lord marks iniquities, who shall stand? It's been the common question. It's a question you should ask this evening. Can you stand in the presence of God? When it comes to the final day, will you be part of this company? When the role is called up yonder, will you be there? Can you stand in God's presence? Well, the only way you can stand is if you are clothed with Christ's righteousness and your garments washed in the blood of the Lamb. See, only those who are saved can stand. And therefore, this examination that we see, this picture that we see is well worthy of our careful study that we consider, who is this company, this saved company that can stand? Now, when you examine the scene, you see truths that are consistent with all of Scripture. You see a company saved by grace, saved in Christ, and saved by faith alone. One thing, if I could get people to, uh, again, leave, uh, say young people who move away, if they were to, to, to leave this congregation, I hope they'd always understand that salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. I hope that mantra is in their minds. Wherever they go in the world, they'll understand that absolutely fundamental truth. This is the only way of salvation, by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. And so I repeat it often for that reason. And so as you look at this company, you see those very simple truths. First of all, again, you see that they are saved by grace alone. Verse number 10, again, the language is somewhat unusual in our, in our language today. Salvation to our God. It doesn't mean that salvation has to be enjoyed by God. It indicates salvation belongs to God. It's from God. He's the God of salvation. And so the company are saying, we're saved by grace alone. That's what they're saying in this testimonial. They are around the throne of God. They're before the Lamb, and they're saying, salvation comes alone from God. That testimony is then echoed by the heavenly host. Look at verse number 11 and 12. All the angels, the elders, the four beasts, they fall before the throne of the, uh, they fall before the throne on their faces. They worship God saying, Amen. It's true. Salvation does come from God. They echo that reality and they say this, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And what they're saying there is these are the attributes of God out of which salvation comes. He is worthy of all glory. He's the one who's all wise. All thanksgiving belongs to God. He's worthy of honor because in him rests all power and might and majesty. He is the God worthy of all of our praise. That praise flows out of the reality that they're witnesses of God's saving grace. It's just happening here. 
The company are, are, are around the throne. And they're saying, our salvation comes from God. And all the multitudes of heaven are gathering into that praise service, echoing the reality. All of these sinners are only there because of God's grace. They're only in heaven because of the mercy of God. The angels, the living creatures, they're all echoing this reality. Salvation comes from God. You think of the parables in Luke chapter 15. Whenever a sinner repents, there's joy in the presence of the angels. Heaven rejoices when a sinner is converted. You see, turn back, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and you'll see the role that the church plays in the great order of all of God's creation. You have here in verse number 9 of Ephesians chapter 3, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known the manifold wisdom of God. And how is the manifold wisdom of God known by the principalities and powers? It is by the church. And so the text says, Unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And so the company in heaven, they testified that reality. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. They are, they are seeing the glory of God in the completion of the salvation of this company. Saved by grace alone. You see, a sinless company, these are now sinless souls. And souls of just men made perfect. They have no sin, no remaining sin. And in their righteousness, they still echo the simple refrain, we're saved by grace alone. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. If you like what they're saying here, I'm going to show this now. They're saying, grace has kept me safe thus far and grace has led me home. Fully saved by grace. Did you note the little phrase that's used there in verse number 9? They're praising God, they're clothed with white robes, and they have palms in their hands. That's very significant. The palms in the hand draws us back again to the Old Testament Scriptures and to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so you go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Remember, we've said this several times in our studies in Revelation, that so much of the imagery is drawn from the Old Testament. And so if you're going to understand the imagery, you've got to go back to the Old. Leviticus chapter 23 in the verse number 40. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Here's the Feast of Tabernacles. And ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute for you, for, sorry, forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. You see the significance here? The Feast of Tabernacles 
was to part and parcel of the people's lives, remembering that they were pilgrims and sojourners in the wilderness, and they were making their way to the promised land. They were going to God's promised inheritance. All of these images, all of these pictures, and they were not to forget that where they are now, they came by blood through the wilderness, and they came all the way to the promised land, and they were kept by the power of God. And you get the picture. Whenever we are in heaven, praising God with palm branches in our hands, it will be the recognition that though we wandered through the wilderness, we were kept by God. Grace has led us safe thus far, and grace has led us home. That is the great joy of the redeemed. You see, when you get to the final day and you stand before the throne of God, you won't for a millisecond think that you deserve to be there. You won't at any point look to your works and your charity and say to yourself, I've earned it. At last I've succeeded. I've got to where I belong. Know the recognition when you're there is that this is all of God and all of grace. The things that we say, we profess now, will be all the more clear. We're only sinners saved by grace. Secondly, this company saved by grace alone are saved in Christ alone. Now, I'll say more in a moment or two about how that salvation comes about. You see references that are made to, to blood, particularly there in verse number 14, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Undoubtedly, the Lamb is central here. The Lamb is mentioned, of course, verse number 10, salvation to our God and unto the Lamb. It's a, a recognition that the salvation they enjoy comes in light of the Lamb's success. Remember the Lamb's success, verse 9 of chapter 5, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And so you've got the same concept, verse 9. Kindreds and tongues and peoples and nations, they're all there, verse number 9 of chapter 7. The connection is very, very clear. The Lamb is successful. The Lamb that was worthy has brought all of His company together, and they'll be safe in the Lamb forever and forever. You see, this picture of the host in verse number 9, a multitude which no man can number, this picture is a picture of the success of Christ. Christ has seen the travel of his soul and is satisfied. This is the fulfillment of God's covenantal promises in Christ. Christ's blood is the blood of the everlasting covenant. Christ's blood secures the promises of the covenant. What are those promises? Well, you think of Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, where the servant who will suffer is the one who in his sufferings will sprinkle many nations. And the work of Christ is to accomplish the salvation of nations. All nations, kindreds, and people, they stand before the throne and before the Lamb because the Lamb's blood has secured their salvation. You go back to the 67th Psalm. You see, the people of God understood that they were to expect these things. Psalm 67. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Verse 4. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. 
There was expectation. But when God was to bless his people in the coming Messiah, when God's face would shine upon his people and Christ would come, so in his coming, the nations would be glad and they'd sing for joy. Why would they expect that? Because of the promise made to Father Abraham. Go back to Genesis chapter 22. The Bible is a unified body of truth that consistently teaches the same things bit by bit. And Abraham is given the promise, verse number 17, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that's obeyed my voice. I'm just taking you to the, if you like, one of the final promises made to Abraham as God continually affirms his covenantal promises that in Abraham shall the nations of the earth be blessed. But he'll have a seed as the stars and as the sand. A seed that cannot be numbered by man. And we see that seed coming to pass around the throne now, a multitude that no man can number. But what does Paul tell us about this promise? Well, Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us this promise is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and the verse number 13. We have here, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we may receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he saith, Not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, unto thy seed, which is Christ. And so then you can see the end of the chapter, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you see how all this comes to pass in Revelation chapter 7? Do you see it all in Revelation 7 made very, very clear? What do you see? Well, you go back to those chapters, you will see a multitude that no man can number who have been redeemed, according to chapter 5, verse number 9, who have their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, chapter 7, and the verse number 14, and they are from every kindred and nation and people and tongue, and the promises God made to Abraham, they are now finally fulfilled. We're seeing their fulfillment in all of these things. One people, neither Jew nor Greek, but one unified company saved in Christ alone. You see, Christ has succeeded. That's the whole point of Revelation. So many people get tied up in all the, all the images and all the signs, but the very point is Christ will secure every part of God's purpose. Can't fail to keep all of his promises. And so God's covenant made with Abraham is made with Christ and has now fulfilled the unity of the gospel. Oh, there's so many errors that are exposed by that understanding. One way of salvation for all people in all ages, all in Christ. The Old Testament looking forward, New Testament looking back, but it's all in Christ and in Christ alone. No other way. 
this company saved by grace alone, saved in Christ alone, and thirdly, saved by faith alone. They are saved by faith here. Look at verse number 14. Look what it says. They are they which came out of great tribulation, and they have washed their robes, and they made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, we have said already salvation is by grace alone. But salvation has been provided for them, but they in turn have availed of that salvation. They are saved because from a human perspective, they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. It's a description of faith. You see, there is no salvation without faith. That's what God has ordained. This faith that is in Christ Jesus is in, is in his work. How the liberals despise the language of the blood. The Bible delights in that blood language. They've made their robes white in the red blood of the Lamb. Doesn't make sense in terms of how you may wash robes, but the point is very clear. It is only blood that makes the sinner white. The darkness of sin is washed away by the blood of Christ because only the blood can avail for the soul. Only the blood can cleanse us from every sin. That's still the case today. It hasn't changed a bit. Still the case. Only the blood of Christ will cleanse a sinner. That's why you preach these things. They trust in his work. They delight in his person. They are before the Lamb. You see, the Lamb is the central focus of their devotion now. They're worshipping the Lamb. They're praising the Lamb. You see, Paul's testimony, Philippians chapter 3, was that I might know him, knowing Christ, kind of all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He wants to know Christ. That's why he's left all of his religion. He left religion behind that he might know Christ and win Christ. And so he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because death is more of Christ. And so here we, we see this company with, with the light of the Lamb. They, they are worshipping. Their faith in Christ is now no longer by faith but by sight. And they worship and they praise the Lamb of God. The faith that initially was not sight whom having not seen we love, yet believing, now it's sight. You know, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible for somebody to die and then begin to worship Christ. What they're experiencing here in heaven is what began on earth. They trusted in Christ. They loved Christ on earth. And now that love and that trust is brought into fulfillment as they stand around the throne of God. But they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The faith that is in Christ is a faith that endures. They're said to come out of great tribulation. This is a bit that's always caused much intrigue and Conjecture amongst many regarding what this reference means. There is the article in the original, the Great Tribulation. And so many have said this refers to some time, three and a half years perhaps, of intense persecution yet to come. 
Well, that does not do justice to the language of Revelation. This is not just the company that's coming to God at the very end of the age. Though there may well be a time of great trouble at the end of the age where Christ returns, yet this is not referring to that company alone. It's referring to all of the redeemed. That's the whole point of the first, or the Revelation chapter 2 and 3. The ones who overcome. They're encouraged to be conquerors, overcomers. And so one man has said this, This great tribulation is not three and a half years of intense persecution yet to come. It refers to the entire journey of God's people between the Red Sea and the Jordan. In other words, the great tribulation represents our wilderness wanderings. It is life from that moment when God intervenes to rescue from your slavery to sin and sets you in the path of life until the day your earthly life ends. Tribulation, if you like, is it is life in this world as a Christian. Did Christ not say, in this world you shall have tribulation? Was it not the fact that when Paul was going back to Antioch on his first journey, he visited the churches, and he told them, he says to them, that three through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. So this is a company of faith in Christ. And as they have faith in Christ, that faith is a gift from God. They have a new heart that loves Christ. They delight in Christ. But that faith is preserved, preserved by God so that we persevere to the end. It's impossible for this company not to come through great tribulation. That's the comfort here. You see, dear child of God, you will face tribulation in this world. And you may look at your future. You may look at the next five, ten years, and you may see things on the horizon that you know are going to trouble your soul. And you may face them, and you may think to yourself, will I be safe through those things? Well, this testimony, it's a statement of reality. They're not saved because they endured tribulation. But they are saved as those who were kept in the midst of tribulation. Saved by grace. Through faith in Christ alone. Shouldn't surprise you that the company around the throne of God in the last day are those who simply show what was true in all generations. Every single sinner, saved by grace, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.